God is good all the time, isn't he? And I love him so much. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he's got a plan and a purpose for this church. And God's going to do giant things in your life and through your life. We must believe it. We must walk in it. There is nothing else and there is no one else but God. Nothing else matters. And I just want to get right into this today. I have a tremendous amount of notes and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to cut it <laughs> and bring it in a way that makes sense and with some life. We just thank you, Holy Spirit. You are preaching today, not me. And uh, the Holy Spirit gave me a dream recently. The Holy Spirit came to me in a dream and he said to me, I want to teach you about the power of if. That's all he said to me. And then he showed me preaching this sermon. And I opened my Bible to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. I said, okay, Holy Spirit. But as I began to seek him, there's just so much. I don't know what his time frame is. I'm going to preach on it today as much as I can. And if he continues, then, then we'll go there next week. But I just want to think for a moment, this word, if, it is a two-letter word, and yet it carries tremendous weight. Life and death literally hang on this two-letter word. Jesus is who he is. As you hear me state over and over again, Jesus doesn't change. God's throne cannot be shaken. Many things will be shaken. The earth will be shaken. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but God's throne is not going to be moved. It cannot be shaken. When it's finally moved, he will move it. Come on, amen. He will move his throne to a new heaven and a new earth and live with us forever and ever in eternity. But it cannot and will not be shaken by anything else but himself. But we, in this human state, are not, we are not shake-proof in the human body. We are when we identify in Christ, aren't we? When we identify in him, when we put our lives into his by what he did for us, then we enter into that eternal place with God into an unshakable place. And it all hinges on this word, if. As you hear me say many times, and I'm going to say it till I'm old and gray, God doesn't force you to do anything. He didn't force you, although I've said many times, he compels you though. He has a way of making his case very clear and very compelling. But he does not force you to repent. He does not force anyone to accept him as Lord and Savior. He also does not force you, once you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, to do anything with what you have. He doesn't force it. God's ways are his ways. God. His word is his word. 
but we have the choice and there is incredible power when we make that choice. When we made the choice to follow Jesus, there was incredible power that entered your life. And it hinged on if you will repent, if you will turn to him, if you will humble yourself, if you will give your heart to him. But until you do, Jesus is waiting there for you, all of his power, all of his strength, all of his glory, all of his love, all of his mercy is waiting. His grace is waiting there for you. But until you receive it, it does nothing for you. It literally hinges on if you will hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And what that means is if you are listening and the Lord is poking your heart and he does it not just once, but he does it your entire life. If he pokes at your heart and says, give it to me, give me your heart, give me the things in your heart, give me the things that you desire, give me your will, give me your ways. If you will give it to him, he will do something with it. It's been asked many, many times in the Word. The entire Bible from cover to cover is, has the word if in it. In fact, just in the New Testament alone, it's 570-something times, and Jesus said it 250, over 250 of those times just in the four Gospels. Jesus says the word if. If, 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 if. What is if? If is a condition. It's a conjunction. It connects two things together. It implies action and result. If I slap Dawn across the face, I will receive a result. <laughs> Multiple results. Cause and effect. If is two things joining together. If you give your heart to God, God will give himself 100% freely. It's already done. It's just waiting there for us. But if you give him your heart, he'll do something amazing with it. Abraham asked God, if I find 50, if I find 40, if I find 30, if I find 20, if I find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, can it be spared? And God said, yes, because he dared to ask if. Deuteronomy 28, everybody loves this chapter. Everybody quotes, I'm blessed. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed when I go in. I'm blessed when I go out. Deuteronomy 28, if is how it starts. If you will seek the Lord, if you will make the Lord your God, if you make him your God. But then two-thirds of the chapter is if you don't honor God, all of these curses, which we don't quote, all of these curses will follow you. But it's the same exact if. If you make God your God, you'll be blessed. If you don't make God your God, you will be cursed. The if is set in stone like gravity. You can toy with it. You can play with it. You can try to bypass it for a season. You can have your plane refilled for forever in the skies by some 
special jet bringing fuel. You know, I think it was, they said two years. I think Air Force One can stay up there, something like that with refills. But eventually, even with refills, even if you try to bypass gravity, eventually gravity will catch up with you. And God's mercy and his grace is amazing. It's so incredible. It's unbelievable. It's unfathomable, actually, by the human mind. We really can't understand it. We won't fully understand his grace and his love and his mercy and his favor until we enter heaven. But it all hinges on if we obey, if we disobey, if we'll call upon him, if we do want to do our own thing. And the Lord gives us that. If you pray, you'll receive answers. If you seek him, he'll be found. If you tell others about him, they just might turn themselves to him. But if is the condition. I want you to look here at 2 Chronicles and I think it's fair before we turn to seven, just to breeze through. I'm, you don't need to look at it on the screen, but I'm just going to breeze through. In chapter six, Solomon gets on his knees. He stretches his hands towards heaven and he begins to pray to the Lord. And he says, Lord, if your people are defeated because we, and we've sinned, but if we turn back, then hear from heaven and forgive our sins. He said, if the skies are shut up and there's no rain because we've sinned against you, but if we pray towards this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from our sins, then hear from heaven and forgive our sins. If there's a famine and your people pray, if we turn to you with our whole heart and soul, then hear our prayers and forgive us, Lord. This is Solomon's prayer in chapter 6, and it's pretty in-depth. I encourage you to go and read 2 Chronicles 6. It's just an incredible moment that's happening here. God's temple was established for the first time. You are God's temple. I want you to raise your hand. I've had to do this before. I am God's temple. We aren't even God's temple as a whole. You are individually God's temple. Then the word also tells us, do not forsake the assembling together of the believers. We do assemble and there is a body. We each have a part to help each other, sharpening each other, iron sharpening iron. But we are not, this is not the temple and we are not the temple. You are his temple. He dwells in you. I can't, you're not going to be able to bring me next to you and stand at the throne and say, well, this is what my pastor said and this is what he didn't say. It is between you and God at the great white throne of judgment. You can't bring anybody else. You are the temple and his desire is to fill you with his presence and his glory. And that's exactly what happens here. He prays this prayer. It's a prayer that the Lord wants to hear. The Lord loves to forgive. The Lord loves to give mercy, but it requires the if. If we pray, if we seek you, if we repent, the Lord says, absolutely, he answers him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says in verse 1, Solomon finished praying and fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Right off the bat, we know that the Lord accepted not only Solomon's prayer, but also the sacrifice. We see that God was pleased with this moment where the people said, take everything, Lord. Take it all. And then it says in verse 12, Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer. 
and I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. I thought this was really special to follow Jeannie's sermon last week because we didn't talk on what she was going to, what I'd already, the Lord had already given it to me in my heart. And then I told her, hey, this is what I'm thinking about next week after. And then it was exactly following the verses that she just preached on last week. And I thought this is incredible because this is what I want us to hear today, that we are his temple. We are his sacrifice. He is the fire. We come before him. He wants us to come before him. He wants this place to be a temple that is constantly offering that sacrifice, a fire that never goes out, and that is praying, seeking, repenting, etc. Everything that went on in the temple is supposed to be happening in here continually. It wasn't just here, Lord, take my sacrifice. Because if we go to the word, the word says, I'd rather you obey me than bring me a sacrifice. It's easy just to say, Lord, I'll sacrifice something. And I never, ever, ever knock other churches, other religions, other sects of Christianity. But I do have to say this. The Catholic faith says, as long as you pay us, we'll forgive your sins. And that's exactly what... It said right here, it's exactly what the word uh, tells us. I want you to obey me. My, the sacrifice you can give me is obedience. It's not your stuff. It's not your money, but it's obedience. And the Lord answers his prayer and he says, in this place, in this temple, this temple that is clean, it's purified, it's holy, it's right before the Lord, it's, it's been built for the Lord, it's for Him. And the Lord said, I've chosen this place for my sacrifice. He's chosen you and He's chosen this church. He's chosen you. He's chosen us, chosen us, chosen us as individuals and as a church. He's chosen us to have a sacrifice in this place. And he wants to answer this prayer. But he says something significant. I've heard your prayer. And he said in verse 13, at times, everybody say at times. I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Solomon, I heard your prayer and I love that you built this temple and then let's just put ourselves, come on, let's just put ourselves in this picture here. I love Adam and Dawn and so on that you have presented yourself and you've given yourself and I see your sacrifice, I see your heart, I heard your prayer. Now let me tell you some things. Sometimes things are going to be tough in your life. Sometimes you're not going to have what you think you need or you feel like, where's God? And here's the answer. The answer is then. Everybody say then. If my people are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I firstly, though, just wanted to establish who we really are. We are God's people. We are his temple. 
And God wants to answer our prayer, but He sometimes withdraws, or we have done something, or uh, He is looking for us to get closer to Him, etc. And um, I was thinking how God's grace, my stomach, and I just mentioned this in our last a couple series ago, or last series, I couldn't remember, but my stomach tells me when I'm hungry. Who's, whose stomach here does that? <laughs> Everybody's. Your spirit tells you when you're hungry. We just need to be listening. When I start talking a certain way, it doesn't line up with his word. My spirit starts groaning, rumbling. You need some more word in you. (laughs) You need to spend some time with the Lord. When things start happening in my life, I mean, listen, when I get a cold, you get a cold. Sometimes it's just life. But when things start happening, sometimes I come back and it could just be the enemy attacking you. So regardless, I'm going to go seek the Lord. I want to find out what's going on. And then he might say in that place, hey, I need you to do some things in your own heart. Right? But God loves us. He loves everyone on earth. He shows grace as he sees fit. But he is also just and he will judge as he sees necessary. He does both a short judgment that's on this earth, and that's with the purpose of correcting and causing repentance. And also, he has a permanent judgment that dictates where we spend eternity. And there is judgment post-Christ, post the cross. It's not Old Testament. We have the entire book of Revelation that backs up this fact. And that's why the word cautions us that even though we have wonderful grace, that we should not abuse it because God is still constantly judging our hearts. I don't have a ton of time, so like I said, I just wanted to get into this, but I just want to establish first today this amazing thing that that God tells us. There's actually so much power right here. Before we look at the if, I just want to lay down this foundation right here where it says, my people who are called by my name. How incredibly powerful and also what an incredible responsibility we have. This is such an incredible thing. God looks at his people. He loves the whole world. He loves everyone in this world and wishes, the Bible tells us, that everyone, that all would come to repentance. There are some heresies floating around in our modern times, the last couple hundred years, that there's only a certain group of people that are going to be saved, and then there's another group that were just destined for darkness. And they had their scriptures that back it up, and and you're always going to see these type of heresies. That's nothing new that there are heresies, but that's the one. And that is a lie, because the Bible says that he wants all to be saved. He wants all to turn to him, to repent, to be forgiven, and to be given eternity. But God looks at the people that do that, that make that decision, and the world differently. That is the reality of the entire word. God looks with the same love, but there is a favor, there is a grace, there is a mercy, there is a power for those that have turned their lives over to Jesus. That is the word. And I just want to establish that quickly. It says, Jesus, 
he was at the last sup- the last supper and he said to take this wine and drink from it and and eat this bread and my iPad just shut off that's good thank you lord jesus wow thank you lord well, good thing i know the word thank you holy spirit thank you lord Oh, he wants to come back on. We just thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he breaks the bread, and he said, this is my body, and this is my blood, and if this will cooperate, we'll look at it in Luke chapter 22. Verse 20 said, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant. Everybody say the new covenant. God created a covenant with you. I want you just to raise your hand. I'm in the new covenant. You entered into a covenant. It says there was a covenant between God and and his people. This is Luke 22, verse 20. There was a covenant agreement that was confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. God calls you his people, a covenant people. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, which with laws etched in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, For his face shone with glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect, verse 8, far greater glory under the new way? Everybody say, under the new way. Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which brings... The new way which makes us right with God. In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, and this is a little bit redundant, but I think it's important. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? And that's the covenant that we entered into with Jesus. Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is a covenant. When you take my body and when you take my blood, I'm going to shed it on the cross. It's not just the act of communion that does this. It's the receiving of what that communion symbolized, what the cross was going to be. We entered into a covenant. And there was a power and there was a strength and there was a people before. But the, the Bible says that the, the power that the, the people that sought God, the people that could pray a prayer in Second. Second Chronicles 7.14, they couldn't even be compared to the people that we are now in Christ. That they had a covenant with God, but their covenant is, it says that if you were to compare the two, it wasn't even glorious at all. 
We have such a glorious covenant with God. We have a place with God that is unbelievable. We are called His people, and we are called by His name. In fact, Hosea, in chapter 2, verse 23, prophesied and said, At that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved, and to those I called not my people, I will say, Now you are my people, and they will reply, You are our God. We have been given this incredible gift of being called God's people. We should never, ever forget What an amazing thing happened at Calvary, at the cross, that Jesus called us his people. And when God says, my people, you have to understand the power here. When God told Pharaoh, let my people go, who believes that God meant it? And Moses didn't understand what God was doing, and the people didn't understand what God was doing, and Pharaoh and the devil behind him certainly didn't know what God was doing. But when God says, my people... He means business. And God said here in 2 Chronicles 7, and we are, we're multiplied. It doesn't even give, it doesn't say it's, you know, Jesus compares. He says 70 times 7. He gives us numbers in the New Testament to compare things to. Doesn't even compare it. He just says, if you were to look at the glory we have, at the people that we are under the name of Christ, under the new covenant, there's no comparison to what the old people had. So we can actually look at his word. We can go to 2 Chronicles 7, and when the Lord says, if, and pray this prayer, I first needed to establish that we are his people. You need to understand that there is power in you, and there is power, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 13, he said, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. I want you to hear that again. John chapter 14, verse 13 says, you can ask, everybody raise your hand, say, I can ask. For anything in his name, and he will do it. And it says, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We are his people called by his name. You are his people called by his name. Ephesians tells us, Very quickly, it says that we used to be apart. We were excluded from citizenship. It says in verse 13, Ephesians chapter 2, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. You used to be far, and now under his blood, you are one with Christ. Verse 18, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. And then it says, uh, verse 21, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We have become God's people. This is an amazing thing. This is, this is take away history, take away Adam all the way till Christ is irrelevant for us. It doesn't mean their story's irrelevant. It doesn't mean that they, what they went through, that they gave us uh, tremendous uh, victories and they showed us the faults. But we literally erase that. Jesus says, I'm the new Adam. And we go back and we start again. We are now called by his name. We're called by the name when God breathed life into Adam and he said, have life We are literally restarted in Christ. We are his people. And there is such a responsibility 
in us. And I just, this needs to be established. I'm sorry to be so, hopefully I'm not really being too redundant here, but we are his people. And until you realize that, we don't realize this power of the if, that he says, first of all, you need to realize who you are. I mean, I could go on. I had so much and there's just so little time. This is like a giant thing here I'm trying to do as usual. It says in Philippians, it says that God elevated Christ to the highest place of honor and he gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go. He basically said in Matthew 28, this is who I am. Every single knee will bow to my name. And I am taking that authority that I have. The, the, every single entity, whether seen or unseen, is going to bow, whether they like it or not, at my name. And I am giving my authority to you. We have a similar picture many, many times in the Word, but we have a, a symbol of this when Pharaoh gives Joseph, his signet ring. And even though Joseph is not Pharaoh, is anybody confused that Joseph was not Pharaoh? But God looks at us like Joseph spoke to, like uh, Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. If anybody wants to do anything, if anybody, uh, if you, you say it, you say it's not going to be done, you say it's going to be done, etc., you have the same power that I have. By, I've given it to you. I've taken my ring off my finger and put it on your finger. This is the power. You didn't have it on your own. And we know that. We're, very, we're mature Christians here. We know that the power is not in ourselves, but God gave it to us. He put his name. He wrote his name on you. He wrote his name upon you. He put his ring on your finger. Let's just pull up 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. We are his people called by his name, and he tells us to pray. When Jesus prayed, what happened? <laughs> it got answered. <laughs> we have the same power the same authority that Jesus had. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen in the way, in the time frame, we don't understand. But I actually have scripture for that as well, and I, I bring it up all the time because it's so valid. Jesus prayed three times to his father, and his father didn't answer him. Just because you have the power and authority of God, sometimes God is sovereign and overrides you. Okay? I think we're all in agreement on that. But did it stop Jesus from praying? Come on. Church, we got to pray. Church, we have to pray. But we need to realize no one is hearing the gospel unless it's being preached. No one is seeing Jesus on this earth unless we show him to them. The Lord says, 
if you pray, if you seek me, and I want to get into more of this in the next week, if you humble yourself, if you will turn from your wicked ways, heaven and earth begin to shake. (laughs) Come on, guys. Heaven and earth begin to move. Jesus tells us, Jesus said, I just want to find it here in my notes, and I'm just jumping a little bit. Jesus said, if you have faith, and you believe, and you pray, come on, it will be done. The only reason, as a believer, if your prayer, if you are praying with the authority, if you know, you need to know who you are, that you are his people, that you are his, under his name. And if it's not happening in the way or the time frame, et cetera, that you like, you just need to let God have that. It is not our job to heal anybody. It is not your job to save anybody. Your job is to pray. Your job is to speak the truth. The Holy Spirit does the drawing, right? Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the healing. You just speak it. You pray. You lay your hands on. You speak it out. But I just very quickly, because I don't want to get, I don't want to dig too deep, and then I'm not going to be able to get back today. I just want to quickly read this whole verse again. And thank you, Holy Spirit. This is where you had us. Thank you, Lord. It says, if my people, let's just read this out loud, who are called by my name, this is 7 verse 14, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. The Lord wants restoration in this land. In fact, I was praying with the Lord yesterday, and I began to, the Lord dropped in my spirit something that has actually been coming up. Jeannie's mentioned it. I've been mentioning it in these last months. And it's a story over in Ezekiel chapter 37. And let's just go there. Ezekiel 37 verse 1. It says, The Lord took hold of me, And I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. And they were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message. Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly I spoke 
Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley, and the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man, or the four winds, and speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath, from the four winds, Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile. I will cause you to rise again, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. It was the Holy Spirit to read that today. Was I had that written down as something just in my spirit. I didn't know we were going there. But this is the point. The Lord wants to breathe again. But this was the key. Here is God in heaven. And here is Ezekiel. Come on, we have to get this picture. There's God in heaven. And there's Ezekiel. And the Lord chose for Ezekiel to speak to the bones to bring out the result. God is calling his church to pray. The nation needs to be restored. And we've had some amazing victories, whether you like the person or the people of this nation or not, we have had victory this year. And maybe that's a judgment call, (laughs) but we are still, we are not at war and we could have been, we could be, the Lord is still blessing this nation, but we need revival. We need a restoration We need a restoration of the heart, not just of business and commerce and whatever. We need a restoration of souls, of hearts again. There's a church on every single corner in every single town of this entire country. And the Lord is asking us, but why aren't you praying? Why aren't you seeking? Have you humbled yourself and repented, not just for your own sins? All the prophets of old, they began to repent for the sins of the nation and and the sins of their brothers and sisters that don't even know yet. And that's what the Lord started to speak to me yesterday with Ezekiel, Ezekiel here, is to begin to just speak into this valley, begin to pray for this valley, begin to pray for your families, begin to pray for your workplaces, begin to seek him like you never have before. And uh, someone just asked me recently, what does it mean to, like, how do you seek him? What does that mean? And and I had to think about that because it's something I don't question. I just do it. And I had to stop and think about that. And really what seeking it means is that when I want to think about something else, I just decide to push that aside. When I want to do something else, I decide to push that aside. And I begin to just meditate on him and and the people that he's put around me and begin to pray for them instead of think about my stuff. And then ask the Lord for his, his more of his mercy and his grace in me and in their lives. And that's seeking him. 
We need to seek him like that, begin to pray for the people around us. And it comes with, and I'll get into it, a humbling of ourselves and turning from our own ways. And then the Lord will do it. He already said it. I just, I hope you get it. As soon as he said, my people, you have to understand the power in that. The answer is already there. Just because he called you, he called us his people. And just that alone is literally, he is waiting for us to speak because the power by being his people is, is in us already, but we must begin to do it. And there you will have endless distractions. You will never, ever have enough time to pray. You will never have enough time to seek him. There's never enough time for church. There's never enough time for his word. There's never, ever enough time. But you must make time. We must begin to pray and to seek him. And then that's why God, sometimes when we don't do it long enough, he has no choice but to cause some drought, some famine, and a little bit of shipwreck in your life, not to hurt you ultimately, but to get you to say, I need to pray. It'd be better that we just pray in the good times, seek him when everything is great, but we don't because we're humans. But I, the Lord is, is, is calling us now to begin to pray. It's still not bad. We still have really, really good lives. If we, I was just thinking to go to the other side of the world and just, I want to see really how low, we were just talking about this, how low some people live, how little. I saw the statistics. It said, if you own two cars, you are in the top 1% richest of the world. You hear me? If you own two cars, which almost every single family in the U.S., every single middle class and up family has in the U.S. two cars, you are in the 1% richest in the world. We still have a tremendous amount. Let's seek him now. As the word says, while he may be found. There may be a time where it'll be hard to find him because it'll be so chaotic. And I just feel the call to pray and to seek him. And there is a pattern which I wasn't going to rush today. That wouldn't have been right. So let's just stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We just give you our hearts, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray right now. Lord, it doesn't need to be long and thick and drawn out. We just pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for this valley that you have placed us in. You knew what you were doing when we were born here or, or placed here or moved here, etc. Lord, and you put us here. And Lord, just as Ezekiel did, we pray right now as your church for this valley. We pray, Lord, for this nation. This is where we live. And we thank you, Lord. You put us here. You told us to pray for it. And you would move on our behalf. So we pray in Jesus' name. That every saint, Lord, or sinner, Lord, those that have lost their way, those that were once yours and have gone their own way in this valley, and Lord, those that you are calling in, Lord, we pray for them right now in Jesus' name, and we begin to seek you, Lord God, for a revival, Lord, first of all, in our own hearts. That will make the greatest effect, Lord, in our nation. And Lord, do a work in us, but Lord, we pray that you would also do a work in their hearts, Lord, that their ears would be open that, Lord, when we speak the right words, Lord, their spirit would already be ready and willing, Lord, and listening to our words. And the Lord, that their dreams, Lord, their lives would start to be filled, Lord, with your peace, with your jo joy and hope, Lord, in a drawing to the cross in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord.